I want you to consider two fictional people. The first one we're going to call Matt. Uh, Matt's in his early 60s. And recently, Matt has been experiencing some abdominal pain. Uh, He thinks he might even feel a lump in his abdomen. At first, he wants to ignore it. That's sort of human nature. But his wife tells him he should go to the doctor. So Matt agrees. He goes to the doctor. uh, And the doctor runs tests on Matt and finds out that Matt has small intestine cancer. The doctor says to Matt, uh, we're not sure, but we think there might be some correlation between eating red meat and salty foods and small intestine cancer. So we'd like you to radically change your diet just in case and cut all of that out if possible. He also says, Matt, we're going to have to have surgery to remove uh, the, tumor that are th- the tumor that's there. And so he schedules him for surgery. And then the doctor says, we'd also like to do adjuvant chemotherapy uh, after the surgery is done to make sure that we got all of the cancer. Now, uh, even when uh, Matt goes home and researches this on the internet and finds out that adjuvant therapy is not super successful for small intestine cancer, uh, when he hears that this is what the doctor has prescribed, he's shocked that he has cancer, but pretty soon he's able to say, okay, well, if this is what we got to do, this is what we got to do. And so uh, Matt, uh, with full effort, cuts his diet, uh, gets red meat and salty foods out of his diet as much as possible. He schedules the surgery and even schedules the uh, adjuvant therapy for after the surgery. Now consider Nick. Nick is same age as Matt. He also has abdominal pain. He thinks he too has felt a lump in his abdomen. His wife would like him to go to the doctor, but Nick thinks, yeah, it's not that bad. I feel fine. So the wife goes to the doctor on his behalf and asks the doctor, and the doctor says, well, uh, it could be small intestine cancer. She comes home and tells Nick that, and he looks it up on the internet and finds out that's a really rare kind of cancer. I'm sure I don't have that. Uh, While he's on the website, the website that was explaining how small intestine cancer works says there might be some connection between eating red meat, eating salty foods, and this kind of cancer. And Nick thinks, yeah, I don't really eat that much red meat, and I don't eat that much salty food. So he kind of ignores that uh, and just sort of gets on with it. And he thinks to himself, you know what? If it's really bad, the lump will come back, or it'll get bigger, or I'll start feeling worse. But as it is, I'm just going to kind of leave it alone. This is not a trick question. Which of the two do you think made the wiser decision? Matt. I asked in the first service and everyone was silent. I was like, no, it's pretty straightforward. (laughs) Matt is the one who did what we should do in the situation. He took seriously the fact that he might have a health condition that needs to be treated. Well, this morning we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus compares himself to a doctor. And in this story, there is one person who responds well to the doctor's diagnosis of what's wrong in his life, and there is a group of people who do not respond well. And we want to look at that story this morning, hopefully so that we will be among the people who respond well to what Jesus is saying to us, and not those who simply ignore it and hope it will go away. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, if you don't have a Bible with you, we are super glad that you are here and we think the Bible is great and really important. So we provided them in the rack in front of you. And so we would love if you would just take one of those and open to page 790 
in the church Bibles on page 790, that's Matthew chapter nine. And Matthew is the gospel, which means it tells us about Jesus. And so we're gonna look at a passage in Matthew uh, chapter nine, verses nine to 13 on page 790. And we're gonna hear a story that is about Jesus. Now I say it's about Jesus, but one of the interesting things about Matthew's gospel is that the person who wrote this gospel is the one who wrote this section, which is about his own calling. So one of the cool things we get today is while we are primarily thinking about Jesus, we also get to hear somebody named Matthew tell us and narrate for us his own story of becoming a follower of Jesus. So I'm gonna read the story for us in verses nine to 13, and then we're gonna think about it together. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When Jesus says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, he's drawing a parallel between himself and doctors in the medical field. And the idea here is, is that doctors see patients who have things that are wrong with them. And so we begin by noticing what Jesus sees in verse nine. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. We say in the medical world, the doctor will see you now. Well, Jesus sees Matthew. And I say, well, what does he see when he sees him? Well, what would you and I see if we saw Matthew? Well, if it was you and I, we would see a tax collector. That's what Matthew does as an occupation. A tax collector means he was sort of a local government official. He lives in the town of Capernaum. And it means that when commerce took place, when there was trade happening, taxes need to be collected. And it was Matthew's job, along with others, to collect those taxes. We have zero indication that Matthew was corrupt or that he was stealing or anything like that. We just think he was a guy doing his job as a tax collector. And if we saw him, that's what we would see. But doctors see things that the rest of us don't see. They see things and they know to look for things that others among us don't know to look for. And when Jesus sees, he sees something more than what we might see. Look again at the way Matthew words it. Again, it's his own story, which is really fascinating. He writes, as Jesus went on from there, he saw, and then what did he see? A man. A man sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, Matthew is a tax collector. If you look over at chapter 10, just the very next page, verse 3, Matthew lists himself in the list of apostles as Matthew, the tax collector. 
So he is a tax collector, but notice that's not what Jesus sees. He sees a person. He sees a human being. He sees someone created in God's image. He sees a man. And when Jesus looks at this man, he sees what's going on in his mind and in his heart. Now, one of the things I love about the TV series, The Chosen, is they have portrayed Matthew as having some social interaction struggles. Whether their portrayal is completely accurate or not, I don't know. But it does seem that when Jesus sees this man, he sees beyond his occupation, he sees him as a person, but he also sees that this man has a problem with his eyes and with his heart. It turns out that it, apparently, as a tax collector, his issue is, is that he is viewing people as objects from whom to collect money. That he's got a job to do and he is viewing everybody through the lens of this is my job and each person has money that I need to collect from them in order to do my job. And Jesus recognizes because he sees things we don't see that Matthew doesn't see others the way Jesus sees Matthew. And so Jesus has diagnosed that Matthew's got something wrong in his heart and Matthew's got something wrong in his eyes. And so he prescribes for him treatment. Follow me, he told him. The treatment is pretty easy to understand. It's complex to do. But when Jesus realizes this man does not see others the way that I see him, and this man does not love others the way that I love him, the solution is, Matthew, come follow me and I will teach you to see people the way God sees them and I will teach you to love people the way that God loves them. And so this is the treatment. The treatment is, Matthew, if you stay just being a tax collector, you're gonna continue to just see people as objects from whom to collect revenue. I want you to see them as people created in the image of God, deserving, needing love. And so he invites Matthew, come follow me. Come be a disciple. Come learn from me. We say it in our benediction. Jesus invites all of us to come and follow him and learn from him because he is humble and gentle in heart. He sees people differently than we do. Now, the mat from the first part of the sermon is modeled on Matthew. And so the idea here is, is Matthew does exactly what the doctor orders. The doctor says, come follow me. So Matthew's like, okay, if this is what's necessary to treat what's the matter with me, then let's do it. And so Matthew jumps in both feet. He cuts the red meat out. He schedules the surgery. He gets the, the therapy scheduled. In this case, he says, come follow me. So Matthew becomes a disciple. And he follows Jesus. And as you would expect with a good doctor and a willing patient, this has the salient effect of fixing what's wrong with his heart and his eyes. You can see that in the short term and in the longer term. The short term is a little easier to show because it's just verse 10. 
while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew is being modest here because he's telling his own story. There's a few details he's either changed or left out that we do get out of Mark's version or Luke's version. And one of them tells us it's not just that Jesus is eating dinner at Matthew's house. Matthew has thrown a party. He's thrown a party and invited all of these tax collectors and sinners. And what we see happen immediately after Matthew begins to obey, Jesus says, look, we gotta fix what's wrong in your heart and what's wrong with your eyes. Come follow me and I will teach you to love people and to see people the way I see them, not simply as objects to collect revenue from, but people to be loved. Immediately, Matthew says, well, let's throw a party and let's invite all of the people I used to work with and let's all invite all of the people that nobody in the town wants to hang out with. And what you see almost immediately is Matthew goes from being someone who collects money from people to being someone who collects people for Jesus. And immediately the change is he's now, how do we help these other people? How can they see, how can you cure them the way you're at work curing me? And immediately we begin to see a change. The longer term change in who Matthew is and how he views himself and what is happening is a little bit trickier to show, but it's also super interesting. In order to do this, we have to understand Matthew is writing his own account here, and we can learn a few things about Matthew by comparing how he writes his account to the way others write this exact same account. In fact, let me put Luke chapter five up here. This is Luke's version of this exact same story. Luke says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. What's the most notable thing about the difference between Luke's version and Matthew's version? a different name. This man apparently has two names. That's not that strange in Bible times. We have Simon Peter. We have Joseph, who's also called Barnabas. It's not that unusual to have multiple names, Saul and Paul. This man has two names. It appears that his given name is Levi. Levi was a very common Jewish name because this is the third son of Jacob. And so it was relatively common for people to be named Levi. Now the interesting thing is, is that Matthew, when he writes his story, doesn't call himself by his given name, which is Levi. He changes his name to the other one, which is Matthew. Why does he do that? Well, I think it reflects something of the change that's happened in his personality. You see, while we today, we still name people Levi, it's a beautiful name. But if you're Jewish and you heard the word Levi or the name Levi, there's no way not to think of the tribe that goes with the third son of Jacob. And does anybody know what the tribe of Levi is known for in Israel? These are the priests and the Levites. These are the religious people. And what's this man's occupation? He's a tax collector. 
He's the exact opposite of what priests are supposed to be doing. There's like a sense in which he is, anytime he uses the word Levi, it has to be an internal shame and guilt of a reminder that he's a failed priest. It's kind of like if someone today has the name Christian, but is an atheist. Every time you say the name, it's a reminder that you're not living up to what your name says you are. So I think when this man has the chance to write his own account, by using the name Matthew, his second name, he's acknowledging he no longer sees himself as a failed priest. The name Matthew, which is also a Hebrew or Aramaic name, means gift of God. And he has been transformed because he no longer sees himself as a failed priest, but as a gift of God given to bless others. It's also interesting, the word for Matthew, the name Matthew in Greek, Matheon, sounds very similar to the Greek word for disciple, Mathetes. I think Matthew is identifying himself as a disciple because there's one more difference between Luke's version and Matthew's own version. What does Luke say? Jesus went out and saw what? A tax collector. What did Matthew say? He saw me. He no longer thinks of himself when he writes his gospel account as a tax collector. He thinks of himself as a disciple. And so the change that Jesus brought not only bore fruit in the near term, but in the long term as well. So Matthew is a beautiful success story. There's another set of people in here which is not a success story. And that's in verse 11. If Jesus sees Matthew, look what happens in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, what? The party. When they see this party with tax collectors and sinners, their response is, they asked his disciples. You may remember in the opening illustration, we had Matt, who represented Matthew, and then we had Nick. We got him from Nicodemus, one of the named Pharisees, so we just used his name. <laughs> Nick refuses to go to the doctor. There's something wrong with the Pharisees' eyes and heart as well, even worse than Matthew's. When they see this collection of people, they don't see a collection of people. They see a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. But instead of going to the doctor, they go to his disciples. And they ask, why does your teacher eat with such people? But remember, Jesus, the doctor, did not show up to condemn all of us. He came here to rescue us and to help us. And so this doctor realizes that guy's in trouble. He's got a cancer worse than Matthew had. And so he pays a house visit. So Jesus comes and finds the Pharisees and he identifies to them, look, you've got something wrong in your eyes and in your heart with how you're viewing these people. And although they're not interested, because Jesus loves them just as much as he loves us and just as much as he loves Matthew, he offers the same treatment plan to them. He says, verse 13, 
but go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means is a rabbinic call to discipleship. Jesus is inviting these men to be disciples. They have not understood the fundamental aspect of what it means to be a believer in God. They're supposed to be teachers of the law, but they have not understood the most fundamental concept in the whole Bible, but especially in the Old Testament. And that is the God that we worship, the God that they're supposed to be teaching about, he identifies himself. He names himself as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love for a thousand generations. That's who God is. He is the one that he's like, look, if you need one word to sum up who I am, God is love. This is the one who describes himself as God delights to show mercy. He loves showing mercy. And these Pharisees look at these people not the way God looks at them. And so Jesus says, look, you're supposed to be teachers. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. But not in condemnation. He invites them, come and I'll teach you. Come and I will show you. Come and I will introduce you to this God who doesn't view people as tax collectors and sinners, but as men and women, as people who need to be loved. Unfortunately, they're not going to follow him, but he still gives them the treatment plan. Okay, well, go learn what this means I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, one of the confusing things is in order to understand what Jesus is saying, you have to go and learn it, meaning it's not immediately obvious. And that's because this is a quote from a book in the Old Testament. And if you just read it on the surface, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you might think, well, God likes mercy, but he doesn't like us to sacrifice things for others or sacrificial love, or he doesn't like sacrificing for the kingdom. That's not what it means. It means I desire mercy, not animal sacrifices. I'm not interested in religious ceremonies, to use modern day parlance. I'm interested in mercy. That's what I really want. Because this quote comes out of a book in the Old Testament entitled Hosea. And Hosea is a prophet who God commands to go marry a woman named Gomer, who is a prostitute and an adulteress. And he tells Hosea to marry Gomer because it's an illustration of his love for the nation of Israel. That even though Israel has been unfaithful, even though Israel has done things far worse than the tax collectors and sinners in Matthew 9, even though Israel at that time had rejected God, had followed after idols, had engaged in some of the worst immorality, uh, adultery, idolatry that you can imagine, God is rich in mercy and love. And in this book in which he is spelling out for the nation of Israel all of their failures, he continually throughout the book keeps affirming his desire to be merciful and loving towards them. Listen to some of the quotes 
from the book of Hosea. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. People who had no right to be called God's children in his mercy and love, he's like, I'm making you my children anyway. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Hosea 3, God says to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Even though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Hosea 11. Listen for the emotion in God's voice. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. For super kind, gracious Israel? No, for idolatrous, adulterous, sinful Israel, God's compassion and his mercy is aroused. Hosea 14, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. It's in the sixth chapter of that verse, in which, of that book, in which God says, I desire mercy, not sacrificial offerings. I want acknowledgement of God, not burnt offerings. To put it in modern day terms, it would be like if somehow we were able on a Sunday morning to have a perfect worship service. If we could make sure that every note got played correctly, every note sung, every word sung the right way, if we could somehow figure out that every word of the sermon was exactly what it was supposed to be, if we could get everybody participating to have the right, uh, uh, to do all of the right things, to stand up at the right times and to say the right things and do everything exactly right. But we did it by berating people, by rejecting people that we thought weren't good enough who couldn't match up to some standard of excellence? If we did it that way, do you think God would like that church service? Absolutely not. That's what Jesus is saying. Go learn what I'm talking about. You think you're going through all this stuff to try to present to God something that looks good on the outside. God's like, I, don't, I hate that. What I want is something full of love. I want something full of mercy. He likes sermons that don't go super well because then he gets to be merciful. He's not looking for excellence. He wouldn't pick me to do this job. He's not looking for excellence singing. He wouldn't have picked all of us to be the ones here singing. What he's looking for is heart. And Jesus says, go figure this out. Because in the world, what we get told is, you better be perfect. You better be good. There better not be any mistakes. And we beat ourselves up and we feel guilty and we feel shame for all the ways we fall short. And God says, but that's not me. I want mercy. I want love. I want compassion. That's who I am. And that's what I want from you. 
And God says, look, I, when I see you, I see you with compassion. And I want you to see others that way. So what's the message for you and I today? It's this. God sees you. Not your occupation. Not your failures. Not your addictions. Not your race. Not the struggles you might have with gender dysphoria. Not your sexuality. Not your age. Not your intelligence level. God is not ignoring any of those things. But what he sees is you. He sees me. He sees a child created in the image of God. And he also sees that our hearts and our eyes are not seeing others the way he sees us. And so his diagnosis is the exact same as it was for Matthew and it was for the Pharisees. Something's wrong in how you and I look at others. We see tax collectors. We see accountants. We see adulterers. We see idolaters. We see sinners. We see all this other stuff. And God says, you're not seeing people the way I see them. And the treatment plan is exactly the same as it was for Matthew and for the Pharisees. Come, be my disciple, and I will teach you how to see people the way I see them. Now you might be wondering, well, how do you do that? Like, it makes sense to me that if you're in Capernaum and Jesus goes walking by and Matthew is sitting at a tax collector's booth and he says to Matthew, come follow me, we would get what that means, which is, okay, get up and literally go follow him. What does that mean for you and I today here in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 2023? Well, here's the really crazy thing. This guy, Matthew, who became a disciple, who stopped calling himself Levi and decided to go with Matthew because he was a disciple, as he followed Jesus around, he wrote down all of the stuff that helped him become a disciple. And he put it into a book. And the Holy Spirit delivered that book to you and I today because we can do the exact same thing Matthew did. Matthew went on a journey from being a tax collector to being a disciple of Jesus and he wrote down all the stuff he saw and experienced and heard that helped him move from where he was to having compassion and mercy for people and it's right here in the book of Matthew. Which means how do you and I be disciples of Jesus? It means we ought to get serious about the book of Matthew. That's why this is here. Come on Sunday and hear it preached. And you're like, check, amen. Thank you, you're here, well done. If you miss a week, listen to it online. These are lessons in discipleship. But it's about more than showing up once a week. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to see people the way Jesus sees them, you gotta do a deep dive into the book of Matthew. Go home today and reread this passage. Read it again. Think about it. Go and learn what Jesus is talking about. 
Read through the Gospel of Matthew. Memorize different verses if they stand out to you. If there's something you're like, I'm not sure how to do this, talk about this with other people. Engage in memorizing it, meditating on it. Whatever you need to do, this is the thing that the Holy Spirit uses to change hearts and eyes. It is impossible to view others the way that Jesus views them without doing this. And the question is, when Matthew got up to follow Jesus, he had to leave some stuff behind. And the truth of the matter is, there is no way to squeeze the gospel of Matthew into our already busy Netflix lives. You're going to have to give up some video games. You're going to have to give up some sleep. You're going to have to give up some show you like to watch. You're going to have to give up some other books in order to learn to be a disciple of Jesus. If what you and I were doing already worked, we wouldn't need this point. The point is, this is how you learn to love people the way Jesus loves them. And so the challenge to you and I today, are you going to be Matt or are you going to be Nick? We all got cancer. All of us. And if you think that you're viewing people the way Jesus views people, we're just simply lying to ourselves. We view them as tax collectors and sinners. We view ourselves as tax collectors and sinners. We don't see us or others the way Jesus sees us. We all got cancer. We can be like Nick and pretend. Well, it's not that bad yet. I'm not dead yet. I feel pretty good. I don't know if there's really a tumor or not, and we can try to ignore it. I'm trying to tell you that doesn't work. Or we can be like Matthew. Who's like, all right, you're the doctor. I'm the patient. What am I telling you what I need to do? You tell me. And the diagnosis is, come follow me. Come do these things. When you read a passage, put it into practice. Look, I too, I listen to sermons. And it's like, oh, that's a good sermon. Thank you. I'm glad when you say those things. But you know how you really make somebody happy is when you go and do the thing Jesus is asking you. So you say, well, what do I do today? Today, go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go learn what that means today. Go home and read Hosea. You're like, well, there's all sorts of weird prophetic language. Amen to that. I don't understand half the book. But the first three chapters are pretty straightforward. Read those. Go and learn what it means. The Nick person, he's going to hear that. And then he's going to go, yeah, but the tumor's not that bad. I'm going to be okay. Like, I'm not, I don't really look at people that way. My eyes aren't that bad. My heart's not that bad. He's going to forget about it. And James says, the kind of person who listens to the Lord and then doesn't do anything about it is somebody deceiving themselves. If you and I want to be disciples of Jesus, you got to go and do this. Cut something else out of your life and spend that time reading Hosea, asking God, teach me how to love other people the way you loved Israel. Ask God, who in my life is treating me the way that Israel treated you or the way that I treat you? And show me how to be merciful. If like Nick, you ignore it, the cancer's just gonna grow. It will not go away on its own. But if like Matthew, you embrace this, if you recognize he is the great physician, he knows how to transform hearts and eyes. Instead of being a failed priest, 
You're going to be a gift of God. Instead of being a tax collector or an engineer or an accountant, instead of being a prostitute or a drug addict, instead of being addicted to pornography, instead of being a hateful, angry person, you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And instead of being a person who collects money from people, you're going to be somebody who collects people for Jesus. Let's pray together. God, you told us through T.S. Eliot that between the shadow, or between the, sorry, between the thought and the action lies the shadow. We think about doing this stuff. We want to do it. And on Sunday morning at noon, we think, I'm going to do it. And then comes the shadow. But God, you are the light of the world. And so I pray that you would remove the darkness of inaction. God, that you would take away our sort of, that you would give us a holy discontent with the way we see other people. That we're focused on everything other than how do I love them and show mercy to them. God, which of us could ever heal ourselves? This cancer is far stronger than any biological cancer. It's far deeper than anything we could understand. God, I pray that today somebody in this room would decide today to become a disciple. That they would go home and say, I'm getting rid of Netflix or I'm turning off this program or I'm taking away uh, this book and I'm going to read Matthew. This guy became a disciple and I want to become one too. Jesus, would you please do that? What you did in Matthew's life is stunning. It is eternal. Do that in our lives. Help us, Lord, with our unbelief. Help us with our procrastination. Help us with our lack of desire. God, please, would you impress upon us the seriousness of doing this. And God, bring glory to yourself in this. For we ask this in your name, Jesus.